Wildfires burning hundreds of miles away have transformed the sky into a smoky haze that could be described as unsettling, yet yielding powerful sunrises and sunsets. Though Charlottesville community engagement is mostly about items that happen in a relatively small portion of the Earth, nothing is not connected. I'm Sean Tubbs, seeking to offer as much information as I can or cannot. On today's show, elected officials in Albemarle and Charlottesville break ground for the first phase of a court expansion in Court Square. Albemarle County releases draft criteria for when and if a decision is made to expand the growth area. A bridge in southern Albemarle County will soon close for a couple of weeks to replace the superstructure. And Charlottesville City Council holds the first reading on increased water, sewer, and natural gas rates for fiscal year 24. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, since the beginning of this newsletter, one Patreon supporter has dedicated their shout-out to an organization that seeks to draw awareness of the importance of native species to the ecosystem. As we approach summer, Plant Northern Piedmont natives want you to know they printed over 9,280 copies of their guide, Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. In this guide, Piedmont native plants are defined as plants that evolved before the influences of European settlements began to shape and change the landscape. Plants included in the guide were selected from the digital atlas of the Virginia flora and occur naturally within the region. You can download your copy today for free. There's a link in the newsletter. And thank you to that Patreon supporter. After several years of planning, members of Charlottesville City Council and the Albemarle Board of Supervisors picked up golden shovels this morning in Court Square for the groundbreaking for a joint project on land that's long been slated for this purpose. The combined General District Court is the first phase of an investment by Albemarle County for judicial and legal proceedings for the 21st century. Here is Deputy County Executive Trevor Henry. The origins of this work today date back to 2001 and a jointly funded uh, study by this, the city and the county to envision the future of courts. Um, that work uh, eventually led to the acquisition of the property that we're standing on by the city and county in 2005. That property is the Levy Opera House, a 19th century structure which had been purchased by the Perry Foundation in the 1970s to protect it from demolition. Here is Donna Price, the chair of the Albemarle Board of Supervisors. This building was designed in 1851 as a town hall, constructed in 1852 in the Greek Revival style, having seating for 600 people. Jefferson Levy remodeled the town hall building into an opera house seating 800 people. It continued with that usage until closing in 1912 when it was occupied by the Jefferson School for Boys. The new building will be built in a parking lot between the Levy Opera House and the Swan Tavern. The first task during this construction period will be to remove an expansion from the 1980s. The building will be 58,000 square feet and will feature courtrooms for both localities, as well as offices for the clerk of court for both Albemarle and Charlottesville. The cost for this first phase is $36.8 million, according to Trevor Henry. 
Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said he's been working on this issue for many years as an attorney and as a one-time head of the Charlottesville Albemarle Bar Association. It didn't get done until really an agreement was uh, was put together about five or six years ago. and But that agreement still had some problems with it because if you when we actually tried to implement it, one of the pieces of it was that there had to be uh, a provision of a certain number of parking spaces. Those spaces for Albemarle were originally to have been in a new parking garage, but the agreement has been updated to have the county have the sole daytime use of a surface lot on Market Street. This is a good example, I believe, of the kind of city and county cooperation at the court level that we see every day, at the governmental level that we are seeing more and more, but frankly over the years has sometimes been a problem. But this is the kind of thing that we need to keep working on. I'm so glad we're finally getting to this day, and I'm looking forward to picking up one of those pretty gold shovels and overturning a pile of dirt. The final word before the dirt was overturned came from Jeffrey Richardson, the Albemarle County Executive. He thanked Interim City Manager Michael C. Rogers for approaching the parking agreement in a collaborative spirit. I don't believe that citizens wake up, our community members wake up every day and think about their government unless they've got something serious they need to deal with. But I do believe in general that our community and our citizens expect us to get things done and to try to work together. For more information on the project, visit the county's website. This summer, Albemarle County continues to go through the second of a four-phase process to update a comprehensive plan that for many years has set aside roughly 5% of the locality's land area for development. This week, the county's engagement team released a document intended to guide the next round of conversations. One of them sets criteria for how that growth area might be expanded in the future. Here's a section from the website for the draft document. We need to consider the possibility that at some point the current development areas may no longer have sufficient capacity to accommodate future housing and employment needs. Those criteria are contained in a 40-page document titled Drafting Recommendations to Implement the Plan Framework. This is based on information that came out during Phase 1, such as analysis of how dense Albemarle's growth area has been developing to date. In general, the criteria for how and where expansion might occur include transportation capacity, school capacity, access to public water and sewer, access to public safety resources, and environmental features. Here's page 24 of the report. Areas with no existing development or underlying by-right zoning that would allow development should be avoided if there are feasible alternative locations. The when of expansion depends on that land use build-out analysis and is based on a projected 2044 population of 143,379 people. That's about 31,000 higher than the 2020 census. Here's page 27 of the topic briefing. Based on the build-out analysis, there appears to be sufficient land available to accommodate 20 years of growth and demand in the existing development areas when considering the land uses recommended in the comprehensive plan. However, achieving full build-out is dependent on development at the high end of recommended density and intensity of uses. However, the report concludes that rezonings between 2016 and 2021 only utilized about 58% of the total development possible. 
It also found that only about 7% of the development area has capacity for new development. That's 0.3% of total county land. Here's page 28 of the report. Not realizing full build-out of the development areas and limiting the supply of available housing can drive up costs and push new residential growth into surrounding localities. In addition to the expansion topic, county engagement staff are seeking feedback on draft activity centers in the development areas, rural crossroads communities, rural interstate interchanges. What do you want to know? What do you think? Tell the county in links above, but make sure you read all the documentation first. There's a lot in there, and there's a lot to go through, and I recommend you do so. Those who use Plank Road to get through southern Albemarle County may want to plan for other routes later this month. The Virginia Department of Transportation has announced a bridge over the Meacham's River near Batesville will be closed from June 12th through June 27th to allow for a replacement of the superstructure. Here's some detour information from the press release. During the closure, traffic on the west side of Batesville will detour using Route 692 to US 250 to Interstate 64, exit 107 at Crozet, east to exit 118 US 29, then south to Route 692. Traffic east of Batesville will reverse the detour route. Access to all private entrances will be maintained on both sides of the bridge. The bridge has a current capacity of 17 tons and carries an average of 970 vehicles a day. Many residents of the Batesville area have expressed concern that more tractor trailers will use the road after the bridge is expanded. For more information, read Lisa Martin's April 7th article on the topic in the Crozet Gazette. In May, supervisors formally requested that VDOT conduct a study on issuing a restriction on through trucks on Plank Road. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and Charlottesville Community Engagement's continued existence means that many of you support local information. Want to support some local businesses as well? The Buy Local campaign is in full swing, and both the Albemarle and Charlottesville offices of economic development want people to consider spending locally as they shop throughout the year. The Buy Local campaign highlights small businesses within Charlottesville and Albemarle County, through a multi-channel, multimedia, promotional, and educational campaign designed to reinforce how important supporting area small businesses is to the local economy. Locally owned, independent businesses with a brick and mortar presence in the city or county interested in being featured in the campaign should visit www.showlocallove.org or contact them at info at showlocallove.org. And for more information, you can visit that website or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Residents receive these four utilities 
some way, shape, or form for the average customer who uses uh, the average amount of water, uh, generates the average amount of wastewater, uh, uses uh, the average monthly amount of natural gas, has an average lot size. We are looking at a monthly increase of slightly less than $10. If approved, the rates would go into effect on July 1st. Cullinan acknowledged that $10 a month may be a lot for some community members, but that the additional money is an investment in safe and reliable drinking water. What we always think about is the value proposition. What are you getting for what you pay for? For those who may have trouble paying, there are assistance options available for water and sewer, as well as natural gas. There's links to those in the newsletter. It costs money to run a municipal water and sewer system and to keep it up to date. Charlottesville has around 14,800 customers, according to Lauren Hildebrand. She's the city's utilities director. We deliver 4.6 million gallons of water daily. We maintain 179 miles of water line, 116 miles of wastewater pipelines. And last year we worked uh, over 8,300 work orders in the utilities department. Hildebrand said the city has been working since 2008 to replace aging infrastructure, and 23 of those miles of water lines have been upgraded to new materials. That's about 12.8% of the water system. And we've spent $30.6 million of total construction cost. In the wastewater system, we've replaced or rehabilitated 65 miles of the system, or 38%. And uh, we've spent about $33.6 million. That money comes from ratepayers. Ratepayers also cover the city's purchase of water and sewer services from the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority. That agency builds and maintains water treatment plants and major pipelines, and also processes effluent at the Moores Creek Wastewater Treatment Plant. The RWSA's five-year capital budget is currently over $326 million, including about $75 million in contingencies for inflation and if any scope changes need to be made. Some of the charges include an acceleration of a long-anticipated pipeline between the South Fork Rivanna Reservoir and Ragged Mountain Reservoir. The goal is to have that two-way water line in place by 2030 rather than 2033 and it will enhance the capacity, reliability, and resiliency of the community's water system. And we decided to really um, accelerate the completion of this project because you never know with climate change occurring, and we certainly don't want to ex experience what we had back in 2002 with the, the large drought we experienced back then. That pipeline's total cost is $80 million, and the city's share is 20%. Another project that RWSA is building is the Central Waterline Project through Charlottesville to connect the Observatory Water Treatment Plant to Long Street. It improves hydraulic connectivity and efficiency of the urban water system. It's estimated right now at 41 million and the city's portion is 48 percent. Overall, the city is responsible for paying about a third of the RWSA's capital plan. Hildebrand said one initiative underway is a federally mandated inventory of utility lines to determine if there's lead in them. That includes privately owned pipes. But we need some help from the community, and we have a lead service line inventory survey that's been created and a video that people can look and figure out what material they've got on the private side of their system. Only one person spoke during the public hearing. Martha Smythe had this question. I'm wondering what sort of excess capacity is in our water system 
and our sewer system to um, handle the growth that could come from the um, large upzoning. Hildebrand said her staff are communicating with the Department of Neighborhood Development Services on the topic. We're kind of confined to this um, 10 square miles and the systems we have in place are, are really very, very sufficient uh, and the improvements we're making and things we look at, um, they're very sufficient to handle the, the zoning. Cullinan explained that the city also charges connection fees for new development that are earmarked to pay for new capacity. The second reading of the rates for fiscal year 24 will be on the consent agenda for the council's June 19th meeting. But that's the end of this installment, and today's is an example of why I do this work. I envision Charlottesville Community Engagement as an afternoon newspaper of sorts, with a mixture of information about what's happening and what's already happened. The newsletter and podcast is sort of like a 15-minute newscast that used to run on WBTF Public Radio when I was an intern there beginning in 1995. They don't do that anymore, and there's no afternoon paper. So my vision for the future is to grow into a reliable daily resource. That's why there's a Patreon account for Town Crier Productions and why Ting matches the first payment for each Substack subscriber who pays. This is what I think I'm supposed to do in the world, and I'm grateful to all of you who are helping to support that. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, now it's time to thank that guy Vraki for the music that you're hearing underneath this voice, and of course, this little bit at the end. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.